Welcome to the Hackberry House of Chosun. My name is Bob, and I'm reading from the words of Henry Morris, who wrote this little book back in 1951, The Bible and Modern Science. We've been looking at the flood geology comments that he makes. I think very interesting. Let's talk about the question of the age of the earth. He says that must be considered briefly before concluding this chapter. A literal reading of the biblical record will yield an age of only several thousand years for the earth. On the other hand, geologists usually estimate the earth to be several billion years old. Uh, this matter of geological dating is very important, both in estimating the earth's age and in fixing the absolute depositional date of the various formations. However, it's a very detailed and involved subject and one that cannot be adequately handled here in, in such a brief compass. Uh, the chronometers most often used in the past have been the rate of cooling of the earth, the deposits of sediments at the mouths of rivers as compared with the sedimentary deposits of the earth's surface, rates of erosion of, of the earth's surface, the amount of salt and other chemicals in the ocean, and radioactivity. Scientists now readily admit that all of these, except possibly the last, are not at all to be trusted and are of practically no value in calculating the Earth's age. This admission would most certainly never have been made had not the estimates based on these methods turned out finally to be far too low to permit the present state of the organic world to have been attained by evolution. It is true, however, that the estimate obtained by each of these methods was stretched out of all justification, so that the errors caused by the weaknesses inherent in the methods themselves were of such nature as to give too large an estimate. Nevertheless, the methods were discarded when they proved unsatisfactory to the theory of evolution. For example, uh, probably the best and most reliable of all the methods was the one based on the salt in the sea. The amount of salt in the sea is fairly well known, and also the rate at which the rivers of the world are emptying more salt into the sea. It was then assumed that the rate had always been the same, and that originally there was no salt at all in the sea. Upon these assumptions, which, of course, were wholly unwarranted and unreasonable, the age of the earth was estimated as, at the most, 100 million years. Since it is extremely probable that the sea contained a great deal of salt to begin with, and also that the rivers once were much larger than at present, and that the rate of erosion was much more rapid, this estimate is seen to be enormously too large. However, it has been discarded by evolutionary geologists as too small. The only method that has been satisfactory to the evolutionists is the radioactivity method. It is known that metals of high atomic weight, such as thorium and uranium, are constantly being broken down into radium and eventually into an isotope of lead. The rate of this decomposition is believed to be constant. Consequently, when rocks are found containing uranium, thorium, or radium, and lead, 
The relative amounts of the two metals in the rocks are taken as an index of their age. However, there is no dependable way to estimate how much uranium or thorium may have been leached out of the sample. This is a common occurrence, and in fact, most deposits of radioactive minerals have actually been rejected for age determinations because of the belief that this had taken place. Neither is there any way of knowing how much radiogenic lead may have been originally deposited with the uranium, or later introduced in some other way from another source. In fact, it is quite contrary to the whole tenor of historical geology to say that a deposit of radioactive metal could have remained unaffected by all the effects of telluric movements, igneous activity, groundwater flow, chemical action, and so on, for, for hundreds of millions of years or more, to be discovered near the surface in these present days. But if the deposit was affected by any agency during those unimaginably long periods of time, then it is manifestly untrustworthy as a means of measurement. The exact original amounts of metal must be known, and so must the exact amount of material produced by radioactive disintegration during all that time, in order for the age estimate to have any meaning whatever. But it should be very evident that it is not only impossible to know that there have never been any disturbing factors, but it actually seems quite certain that there must have been many. Furthermore, it should also be obvious that it can never be positively demonstrated that the rate of disintegration has never changed during all those tremendous periods of time. Of course, if the rate has changed, then unless the exact way in which the change has operated is known, it is quite impossible to make any kind of valid age determination. It is known, of course, that the disintegration rate cannot be varied by great extremes of temperature or pressure or by many other influences that have been brought to bear in the laboratory. Nevertheless, this does not prove that some other influence, untried as yet, might not change it. There was evidently a radically different terrestrial environment during the creation period and even during the entire antediluvian period. The tremendous atmospheric and geophysical changes during the year of the flood could very well have affected the rates of all earth processes, including those of radioactive decay. There is still much to be learned of the exact nature and causes of radioactive decay, even as it operates in the present. As a matter of fact, it is known now that some disintegrations can be greatly hastened, and this is the basis of the atomic bomb. Furthermore, there now exists considerable evidence that the natural rate of disintegration may be affected by cosmic radiation and possibly by still other influences which are not reproducible in laboratories. In view of all these and many other difficulties with the radioactivity method that might be enumerated, it is not surprising that results obtained by the method are so erratic. It is quite common to obtain widely divergent results from different samples in the same locality. Out of all the hundreds of age determinations that have been made by this method, 
There are still less than a dozen from all parts of the world that are considered to be fairly dependable and to fit satisfactorily into the accepted geologic time scale. Most of them have been rejected for one reason or another, quite often simply on the basis that the radioactivity age determination contradicts the geologic time classification already worked out on the basis of the contained fossils. All things considered, this method of estimating geologic time, no less than its predecessors, has been vastly overrated and has had built upon it a superstructure of geologic, astronomic, and philosophic interpretation, which uh, preponderantly overburdens it. Thus, there is no really scientific proof yet offered that the earth is very old, and a truly objective geology would not suffer on this score either from adopting the flood hypothesis in place of the so-called uniformitarian framework. There are a number of natural chronometers which are much more dependable, and as we might expect, give estimates that are much shorter than the ones ordinarily quoted. Some of these are the amount of helium in the atmosphere, the amount of material from meteors, that have fallen on the earth, and the, the amount of juvenile water produced by volcanoes and hot springs, all of which indicate that the earth is extremely youthful as compared with the estimates of the evolutionists. This discussion might be considerably extended, but it can safely be said in summary that no genuine proof exists that the earth is very old. All methods of geological time measurement in current use are based on the theory of uniformity, ignoring completely the possibility of an original creation and the effects of the Noahic flood. We are quite justified, scientifically as well as scripturally, in maintaining the traditional position that the earth is not more than several thousand years old. A remarkable prophecy of our times is given in Second Peter 3, verses 3 to 6. There shall come in the last days scoffers, walking after their own lusts, and saying, Where's the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of the creation. For this they willingly are ignorant of, that by the word of God the heavens were of old, and the earth standing out of the water and in the water, whereby the world that then was, being overflowed with water, perished. The modern doctrine of biologic and geologic uniformity is plainly indicated in this prophecy. Note that the doctrine was to teach not only that all things continue as they were since the end of the creation, but rather since the beginning of the creation emphasizing that creation itself was to be attributed to natural laws and processes which are still in operation. This very idea, of course, is the basis of the theory of evolution. Note also that the apparent scientific basis of this uniformitarian principle would have to be based on the willful denial of two great historic facts, the creation and the flood. During at least these two profoundly important periods of earth history, of course, the uniformity principle could not have been in operation. Uh, 
The creation was accomplished by entirely different means than God now uses in his providential sustaining of the world, which are the only processes that can now be studied. The flood also marked a catastrophic intervention by God in the operation of the normal processes of nature. Therefore, any application of the principle of uniformity, based on measurements of present processes, could not possibly extend back earlier than the time of the flood at best. Consequently, earth history, earlier than this, cannot be discerned geologically with any assurance. Revelation is required. The prophecy also indicates the modern fruit of this unjustifiable use of the uniformity principle and its resulting theory of evolution, namely, the widespread denial of the supernatural in general, and in particular, the coming judgment at the imminent return of the Lord Jesus Christ. In concluding our discussion of creation and the flood, it is well to note that, despite much propaganda to the contrary, there does exist a substantial minority of science, scientists who are creationists, men who believe in a recent special creation of all things and a universal flood as taught in the Bible. For example, the Creation Research Society, organized in 1963, has at present, and this is actually 1968, I've been giving you the 1951 date, but there was a revision of the book. 1968, there were over 350 qualified scientists, all with at least MS degrees and representing every field of science. All members of the society adhere to the above beliefs, as well as accepting the infallibility of Scripture and the deity of Christ. The society publishes a quarterly journal of research papers on different topics in biblical creationism and catastrophism as well as other literature. The Evolution Protest Movement is a somewhat similar organization in England. It is undoubtedly true that uh, most scientists, as well as uh, most representatives of other vocations, reject the authority of God's Word. But this is not because of their science. Yeah. Well, there's a couple other chapters in here. One is the Bible in history, and then fulfilled prophecies. I'm not sure how far we'll go into that, but we'll we'll take a break from it for a while. I think it's time to hear from Charles Spurgeon. Those of you who are in real time, uh, join with me next time to to listen to a, a Spurgeon sermon. Thank you again for being here. Please look around the site. We have 3,400 audios featuring some of the church's great preachers. Persecution stories from North Korea in English and Korean, Bible studies on a number of subjects, and a blog. If you desire more fellowship, please consider visiting my YouTube channel known as Pasturelands or buying one of my books at Amazon.com, the latest being Let Your Kingdom Come. It's uh, August the 8th, 2022. It is officially out there right now at Amazon.com. I hope that you'll check that one out. Or contact me at bob.j.faulkner.72 at gmail.com and I'll share details of our Zoom meetings. This is the Hackberry House of Chosun and this audio is being released on August the 10th, 2022.
The Lord bless you. We'll see you real soon. Bye-bye.